0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 18, verses 15 to 27, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Courage and Cowardice.
1: Have you ever sinned? Have you ever failed? Have you ever done something that you've come to regret? See, we all know that for every one of us, the answer to that question was yes. Indeed, it's simply not true that anyone can honestly say of their lives, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Look, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us when our lives are fully examined who would stand. And furthermore, we also know that some sins and failures are greater than others. Let's say you didn't study well for an upcoming exam and you failed. Let's say that the exam was at the beginning of your classes and that with the shock of your beginning failure, I mean, you hike up your socks and you get serious about your studies and you might look back at your failure and say, well, I'm glad for it. For although it was a failure, it gave me insight into what I must do and what I must avoid. Well, that's all good. See, don't let failures define you. Go on. But as we also know, there are some moments of failure that are, that are harder to get over, such as if the exam was a crucial exam that, you know, would get you into medical school and now you've failed. You know, as before, you can learn from your failure, but the road to recovery is now much harder, much more arduous. So let's get back to the notion that each of us have moments in our lives where we've not only failed, but we look back at our failure with regret. And two pathways now lie before us. One is the pathway of regret or even justification for our failure, you know, if others hadn't hindered me or something like that, and so we learn nothing. But the other pathway is the pathway of reflection, honest, heartfelt, humble reflection. And if this second pathway is the pathway that you take, you'll find that your sins have much to teach you. Today we're going to be studying John 18, 15 to 27, which includes the well-known account of Peter's denial of Jesus. By the time we get to the end of the book of John, we'll find that Peter is afforded a wonderful opportunity of forgiveness and reconciliation and restatement into ministry. And all of that's important for every believer. We mustn't be defined by our sins. We must be defined by our Savior's gracious forgiveness, as well as his renewal of purpose in all of us. We'll have more to say about that in the future. But today, we'll look carefully at the reason for Peter's failure. In short, we'll be contrasting Peter to Jesus. I mean, why did Jesus stand and not falter? And why did Peter falter and so horribly fail? And as we look at that, let's not make this a mere history lesson. See, it's intended for us. I'll invite you to look back at your own life and examine your sins and failures and invite you to do some introspection. Why is it that you sinned? Why did you fail? What's our Lord wanting to teach you? In short, you must not allow your failures and sins to be wasted. Learn, grow, revel in Christ's love for you, and be amazed that he gives you time to build character through your most shameful failures. Well, I'm going to be dividing our text into three sections. And the first section I'm going to call a lack of confidence. No, not a lack of arrogance or a lack of pride, but a lack of confidence in who we are in our identity in Christ. So. Let's read John 18, 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now, the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So let's notice several things about this passage. First, notice Peter's willingness, indeed his passion, not to leave Jesus. So in that sense, he becomes a model for all of us who have said, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Peter was like that. I know that John doesn't record it, but both Matthew and Mark do. Immediately after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room, and they had gone out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus told them that they would all fall away because of him that night. You know, Matthew 26:33. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. It was as if Peter was singing that hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And then the line, though none join with me, still I will follow. I would gladly, if need be, be the only one. You know, I'm reminded of the theme for my wedding, my marriage to Kathy. We chose Micah 4, verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That is to say, Kathy and I were saying on that day, That we are not following the trends of our culture. Our lives together as husband and wife were committed to Jesus, come what may, even if we stand alone. We are not the only ones saying that. Many others said it as well. And then comes life. And then our sins become exposed, sins that we weren't even aware of. And then follows failure. And still, we follow, but we've sinned along the way. We all have. So let's see what led Peter to sin. We notice that after Peter's vain attempt to pick up the sword and defend Jesus, that it had all failed, and yet Jesus had protected him and the others. And we now see that as Jesus had been bound and taken in such a fashion to the home of Annas, that Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Now the rest, well, we have to assume they were stunned and terrified, but Peter followed. See, the next thing John tells us is that the other disciple was known to the high priest, and for that reason both he and Peter were permitted to enter into the courtyard of the high priest's personal residence. That fact has led great many to speculate how that might have come to be. Well, there's a long tradition of interpretation here. It goes all the way back to the early church that teaches that the other disciple was John himself. Well, the reason for believing that is that John describes the charcoal fire where the servants and officers were warming themselves, and that's a little piece of information that's not included in the other Gospels, and that assumes that only an eyewitness could have known that. Well, whoever the other disciple was, John says this disciple was known to the high priest, that is to Annas himself. Now, that's led to a great deal of speculation as to how that might have come about. Well, John uses the Greek word nostos, which suggests something more than just recognition. Carson suggests that it might be the way that a prime minister might recognize a cobbler. doesn't necessarily mean intimacy. It might simply mean that he's seen him often and even greeted him often. It might mean that this disciple might have had a job in the wider household of Annas. Perhaps he'd been the gardener. Annas had discussed with him how he wanted the massive courtyard to look or perhaps he had served as some kind of a servant in the household but whatever he had done for some time this other disciple must have held a job there in the past was well known both to the high priest and other key staff members of the household and so as jesus is taken bound into that courtyard and then into anna's house in order to be questioned this disciple and peter are permitted to enter now initially Peter is made to stand outside of the door of the courtyard while the other disciple goes in, and then he speaks for Peter, and then arrangements are made to let Peter in. So please notice again verse 17. The servant girl, the one who allowed Peter in, must have known that the other disciple, you know, for argument's sake, let's say it's, it's John, she knows that John is one of Jesus' followers. But who's this other guy, Peter? And so she asks him, Are you one of this man's followers too? She is not, as I read the text, making an accusation. She wants to know what is his relationship to John. Are you a follower of Jesus? She knows John is, but is this guy one as well? And Peter immediately is overcome with fear. And he says, no, I'm not. So why does he say that? Well, I'm going to make the assumption here that I think it's a well-founded assumption. Peter, as you know, is from Capernaum. He's lived in a small home there. He's a fisherman with very modest means. So my assumption is that he had never been in the home of a wealthy and powerful person before. And suddenly he's overwhelmed by what he sees. And there's something about the homes of the wealthy and the powerful. It's not just that they can afford to live at a level that the rest of us can't even imagine. You know, homes and estates are meant to do more. They project power. They're deliberately attended to intimidate all who are of the rank and file, the poor, those who have no power. They're a statement. They say, I'm powerful, and you shouldn't take me lightly. And Peter's absorbing this information. Here is power. Well, who's he? He's intimidated by a servant girl. But of course, what he says to her will be repeated to the men warming themselves by the fire. And Peter might have reminded himself at that moment that he was a follower of Jesus. I mean, yes, Annas has a nice house, but Annas can't give sight to the blind or cause the lame to walk, or he can't walk on water or call nature to obey his voice, and Annas surely can't make a dead man stand up in his tomb and come out. Peter might have reminded himself of that. He was a chosen disciple of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but in that moment, he's forgotten.
0: You know, some things don't mix. Oil and water, plaids and polka dots. It's not that these couplings never occur, but our minds don't really readily pair them. The same holds true with our pains and joys. Both expected, but we rarely consider them as simultaneous. But God adjusts our thinking. The Bible reminds us that joy can be found in trials, and our tears can be turned into laughter. It's not instant or self-generating, but a matter of God's grace working within us, like gold refined in fire. Joy can be found in the midst of struggle. So to encourage you as our free gift this month, we wanna send you a combo CD series from Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five joy-filled Laugh Again episodes. Joy in Tough Times, our free gift to you just for calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: It's essential that every child of God should remember who we are. We belong to Christ who's redeemed us from sin. We were purchased by his blood. We were elect from eternity past to be holy and blameless in his sight. The righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to our account. We've received a new heart. We're made to love and desire Christ. We've been declared not guilty in God's courtroom through Jesus, our advocate. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've received union with Christ. The Holy Spirit now lives in us. We are by his power growing into holiness. We have eternal life. Nothing can separate us from Christ. But then we forget And we become intimidated by the world, and out of our fears and our uncertainties and our insecurities and even our lack of confidence in the promises of God, we bend to the pressures of the world. We're intimidated. We forget who we are. All of our insecurities come to the surface. You know, the businessman who confesses Christ and then acts in an unethical manner does so because he's afraid that if he doesn't act that way, how can he get ahead? He's forgotten the promises of God, and he's remembered only the threats of the world. Very well. Let's now move to the contrast, shall we? Peter, in intimidation, is denying he's a follower of Jesus, and in contrast, we see Jesus, who's never forgotten who he is. And so we come to the second section of our passage. In Jesus, we see an open declaration of identity. John 18, 19 to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. See, the question the passage before us causes us to address is whether this questioning of Jesus by Annas is legal. You know, there are those who argue that all that Annas is doing is establishing whether or not there's a case to be presented to the Sanhedrin. We notice here that Annas is questioning Jesus regarding two things, his disciples and his teaching. And I have no doubt that the questions about his disciples was to ascertain how large a following Jesus had. He wanted to know in advance the ramifications that he might expect from the arrest of Jesus. Well, the second question is about his teaching. Annas wanted to show that Jesus was a false teacher, that he's guilty of misleading the Jewish people. He wanted Jesus charged on heresy charges. What's especially fascinating is that by the time Jesus is brought before Pilate, well, those charges change. Jesus should be executed, they say, on political grounds. He makes himself to be a king, they say. He opposes the Roman government. And so we do see that Annas wants Jesus dead. He's searching around for a cause. But another factor here is that, at least according to some, and I think rightly so, that according to Jewish law, it was illegal to examine a defendant in this matter. See, if you're going to charge and convict someone of a crime, according to Jewish law, the weight had to rest on the evidence, including any witness who had any evidence to bring, but cross-examine an accused, That was seen as a miscarriage of justice. Now, if that's the case, and it seems to me it was, Annas seems to care very little about it. He has power, and he's prepared to use it, and so he's busy questioning Jesus about his teaching. He wants to get Jesus to say something that might catch him in his words, in which case Annas can be a witness himself testifying that he's seen Jesus say something outrageous. But notice how Jesus responds. He says, no more than... Everything that I've been teaching has been in public. It's on record, and there's nothing more I want to say. Now, of course, we do know that Jesus did teach his own disciples in private, and, well, every rabbi in his day did the same thing, and perhaps what Annas wanted was some kind of a, you know, private conspiracy going on. I mean, after all, if Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God, perhaps, among his own followers, he was fomenting some kind of a rebellion, but in truth, Jesus did not have a demarcation between his private and public teachings. You know, unlike what we might think of you know, today's unethical politician who says one thing for public consumption and then carries out another agenda you know, behind the scenes, Jesus never functioned in that way. He was consistent in public and in private. I remember years ago someone asking me what you know, theologians and pastors really thought and said in private you know, when the doors are closed. I found that a fascinating question. But in truth, the gospel does not function like a mystery religion, you know, only letting people in on, you know, the secret stuff once they're initiated. Look, the gospel is an open declaration for all who would hear. And so Jesus looks at Annas and he says, why do you ask me? You know, is Jesus putting Annas on the spot here? Well, I think he is. He is saying, is it legal for you to be engaging in this kind of an interrogation of an accused? I mean, why don't you start interviewing eyewitnesses? Ask them what I said. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Isn't that the legal pathway set out for you? And with that, Annas orders that the officers punch Jesus in the mouth. Now, it wasn't you know, a punch with a closed fist. It was probably a hard blow with a flat of the hand. And so Annas breaks the laws regarding discovery of charges, and now he begins to abuse a potential defendant. He's completely illegal. Now, you might remember that Paul, when he was before the Sanhedrin, was also struck in the face. And you remember that Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. But Jesus keeps his anger in check. He demands that Annas follow the law, interview witnesses. He says, if you have evidence, bring it according to law, but you may not strike me. So what do we have in Jesus? Well, he knows he's going to be crucified, and he knows that the Jews will not abide according to law. But he stands in his integrity and refuses to be intimidated. What a contrast to Peter. You know, as we consider the contrast, we're led to consider some of the times in our own lives when we've failed and when we've sinned how often is our sin due to the fear of men? It's led us to do things that we would not have done had the pressure not been there. You know, Christian theology teaches us that all temptation comes from one of three sources. They are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in this instance, we do well to consider the temptations of the world. Later on, John would write, love not the world, neither the things in the world. Don't Value the adulation of men, don't prize what the world offers, and don't fear the punishment this world can mete out. Learn to believe that when you stand with God, you need not fear man. Let Jesus be your example, who did not plead for his life, nor did he show deference to evil men. Instead, he refused to budge to evil means. Indeed, he exposed Annas as the lawbreaker that he was. He's not intimidated by the surroundings. He honored his father, whose surroundings were far more glorious than the trappings of the power of a high priest who was in league with the Romans. Well, now the third section of our passage takes us back to Peter. Intimidation leads to cowardice. The man who had boasted that he would stand with Christ no matter what, now finds his courage is gone and feels this horrible twitch in his stomach. I think we can call the third section the inevitable result of failing to recognize our identity. It leads to cowardice. John 18, 25 to 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. The other Gospel writers also include this. Peter's warming himself while Jesus is inside, interrogated, and being abused, and Peter, at least at that moment, is safe, but Jesus is not. But his fears have gotten a hold of him. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, after his first denial, Peter had tried to leave the courtyard, and he got as far as the archway, but he was recognized. And so we see Peter, what had started with boldness, is now a matter of quivering fear. If only he could just get out of there. He can't succeed. Second time Peter's addressed. John says, they said to him. See, a whole group is asking him, and according to Matthew and Luke, Peter then invokes a curse on himself if he's not telling the truth. And then came Peter's greatest moment of fear. One of the relatives of the man whose ear he had cut off asks the question, hey, didn't I see you in the garden? And Peter denies it, and as Jesus has prophesied, the rooster crows, Peter is exposed. You know, thankfully that's not the end of the story, but this story in and of itself tells us something that we must learn. If we do not gain confidence in who we are in Christ, the world and the pressures of the world will cause us to fall. Keep your identity in Christ and don't be afraid.
0: Thanks for your message, John. You know, I'm reminded that we're all really quite different, but but how should our confidence in Christ and his promises impact us as followers
1: of Jesus in our world? Yeah, I know that we won't ever have confidence in Christ while we fear men. If to have the love of God in our hearts, we fear God, and the person who fears God does not fear men or men and women or people. Uh, and so, because we still have this fear of people, it is an indicator that we still have not yet feared God. So I think uh, come to terms with who God is, and in the end, we will have the attitude we are to have.
0: Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Easter According to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. Our mission is to build you up in God's Word and to grow faithful disciples for His church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information or to send a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.